Well, we welcome everyone to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I am Scott Hogan, and Brad Hallier and I are going to get busy here today as it is state championship week. We got basketball tipping off on the Ad Astra Sports Network and major college. Uh, the Warriors continue on with their basketball season, the Chiefs and Jayhawks and football this weekend and all sorts of other stuff. So, Brad, if you're ready to roll, let's uh, take our game first on Saturday. We're going to go a little out of the um, chronological order this week, but I'm excited about the eight-man Division One state title game in Newton. It'll be on 95-9. I need to reconfirm that. I believe that's a 3.30 kickoff. Um, if I am correct, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong on that one. That's right. Which would put our pregame at 315. It'll be 10 and 2 Little River against undefeated 12 and 0 Wichita County. Little River, a very impressive 48 24 road victory at previously undefeated Madison to advance. And Wichita County went on the road for the first time in the playoffs. I was right out in that same area covering 1A on Friday. They just massacred Hoxie 58-6. to uh, The Catch at Kansas rankings are what I've been using. So these were the final regular season rankings. Little River was number five. Wichita County is number two. This is a quarterfinal rematch from last year. I had that game when Little River played without Graham Stevens. Wichita County was able to pull away and win that game in the second half. But, boy... Um, two similar but different teams. Stevens makes such a difference defensively. They missed his tackling last year in that game. Wichita County returned a ton. Little River returns a ton. And, boy, this should be a fantastic championship. Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, I think some people may look on the surface at what Little River has, you know, they got the two losses, but the Clifton Clyde and the, and the Canton Galva, the defending state champions, and I actually think those two early losses to Little River were a good thing from a perspective of that, that they knew that they were right there. They knew that they were capable of playing with the best teams in Kansas. And, of course, then they turned around and beat Clifton Clyde pretty handily in the playoffs and then beat Madison, who, of course, beat Canton Galva. So I think those two early season losses did a lot of good for Little River. And, you know, they, they've got the experience of playing Wichita County last year without a full team. And I just think you got both used with the explosiveness. But the one thing I do like about Little River is their ability to grind it out. They've got the big boys up front. They've got the big guys in the back. I think they're just as comfortable playing, you know, three, four, five yards a chunk as they are getting, you know, two plays, 60 yards for a touchdown. Well, the principles in this game, I don't know. If we consider Jaden Garrison the main quarterback, if, if you've seen Little River play, Garrison and Graham Stevens will alternate. I think Garrison, especially later in the season in the playoffs, has taken – a lot more snaps at quarterback. But if you look at him, you look at Ritzke for Wichita County, Brad, this is amazing. You combine Garrison's 12 passing, 33 rushing, and seven receiving touchdowns. He's got 53 or 52 touchdowns. And Ritzke's got 33 passing and 23 rushing. He's got 56 touchdowns. I don't know that you could come up with a better quarterback matchup for a championship game or, or any game for that matter. Yeah. These two quarterbacks are going to be, they, you know, they had the ability to light it up through the air on the ground, whatever it takes. But we were talking also earlier, Scott, about, you know, the, the X factor and, you know, they, they can't do it all themselves and, and they're going to have to get help from their, from their secondary and from their third options, but maybe even a fourth option out there, you know, and, and we all, we talked about little rivers ability to find that, that X factor this year. And if they can continue to do that, I really think that this is this is an opportunity for them to 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 re- maybe jump out, get get an early lead going, maybe throw us you know throw that that X factor in, and see if they can put uh, Wichita County into a little bit of a hole. Yeah, both have uh, you know Graham Stevens would be considered um, Little River's main running back. He's got 18 rushing touchdowns. They they line him up at that short split fullback, and they run kind of the read option between him and Garrison. Garrison gets a lot of yards off the fake, but Stevens has that uncanny ability to bounce off of first contact and gain those hard yards up the middle, sometimes six, eight yards at a pop, and that is set up the down-the-field shot to Braxton Lafferty, um, who has come on late. He's got nine receiving touchdowns, average almost 20 yards of reception. Um, he's been their X factor, but Wichita County, um, a kid named Waylon. 
he averages about 18 yards of reception. He's got a whopping 21 receiving touchdowns. So I think the, I don't think these third weapons are going to surprise either team today, but I think what will come down to who can utilize that third weapon as more of a surprise off of play action today and get that big chunk shot down the field and what, what defense can prevent that. That's, that's going to be key and, and very intriguing to me. You know, the thing that's also intriguing to me is that I've never seen an eight-man state championship game, and you saw one of the greatest ever last year when <laughs> Canton Galva was on the brink of getting uh, Mercy Rule, and they come back and almost win by Mercy Rule. Eight-man football is kind of the Wild West, man. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get. And and, that, and that's the thing is, you know, sometimes when the, in, in eight-man football, you see a team get behind by, you know, 14, 22, you know, 30 points, and it looks like it's over. And in many cases, it is. But this is the kind of game with these kind of opponents, even if a team fall behind by, you know, three touchdowns, I think it's it's definitely not over. No, these two are just – they're too talented offensively for really any lead to be safe. And Again, I, I'm excited about this one. It'll be a fantastic game. Again, that's the second game in Newton. Let's touch on the first game before we go to our other Ad Astra game. Uh, it'll be the Division II eight-man championship game, and it's got a pair of Blue Bloods. 10-0 Hanover, who knocked off Frankfurt 74-26 to get to this game, versus 11-0 St. Francis, who got a really nice 44-22 road victory at Victoria. And you mentioned that wild game last year with Canton Galva. It was Division I championship game for St. Francis last year when they led 36 to nothing and got beat 66 to 36. So now they're going to play this year for division two, and they've got maybe the toughest opponent they could draw in Hanover. Yeah. Hanover's just got such a great tradition of, of football, you know, championships, not just in 1979, but 2008, 2009, 2016, 17, 18, they made it to the finals in 14 and 15 semifinals last year. I mean, it's just a great program that expects a lot, especially this century. And, you know, I, I would never go against a Hanover team. I'm not saying that they're indestructible, but based on what they did against Frankfurt last week, they almost looked like it. But boy, I tell you, this the St. Francis team definitely has the has the ability. You know, they they were there last year, some unfinished business perhaps as they look for their first title. Well, if if you think Clifton Clyde, which we both do, they split with Little River this year, forty to twenty. Hanover defeated Clifton Clyde at home this year. So if you if you need any measuring stick, that, that that's a pretty darn good one to prove how, how good Hanover is. And and St. Francis, we mentioned, I think they kind of came into this year, even though they, they dropped down to Division Two with a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder that, you know, they they felt like, I, I don't know if they relaxed last year or what, but they feel like this is really unfinished business. They want to close the deal. They're going to be really focused. Um, but boy, winning at Victoria by 22 points. Th this one's certainly a pick'em game. I'm going to be intrigued to watch some of this one. Yeah, definitely have to get there a little bit early to catch, to catch the latter part of this one. So, yeah, it's a, it, it's a it's state championship Saturday, and you, sometimes I don't think you really know what to expect, but I think both of the eight-man games have potential to be really good ones. So those are the two matchups that will be taking place in Newton uh, in Division One and Division Two of Eight Man, our other kicks, our other game on Ad Astra is Kicks One Hundred Six, a rematch in Class Three A from last year. Eleven and O Andale taking on Eleven and One Perry LeCompton Andale for the second time this year blew out Wichita Collegiate Forty Nine to Nothing. Perry LeCompton a Twenty Two Nine victory at home against Holton uh, last year. Andale won Thirty Five to Seven. Perry LeCompton returned a lot. There's quite a few new kids on this Andale team as far as principal players. But, boy, uh, it's hard to think that this Andale team is possibly better than last year's, but I'm not so sure they're not. I I have a hard time. If you, if you look at uh, each classification and you just maybe just say which team is the best in their classification, I don't see how you can not say it's Andale. I mean, they have just throttled their opposition all year. And look at the postseason alone, 74 to 7, 53 to nothing, 42 to nothing, 49 to nothing against good opposition. You know, they beat Clearwater 53 to nothing. Goodness. Uh, Andale, 40, uh, 49 nothing over Collegiate. I, I just, 
I just don't see how you can not pick Andale. And Perry LeCompton, they were there last year in the state championship game. It was 21-7 early in the fourth quarter before Andale pulled away. And Perry LeCompton does return a lot. They coming off a very impressive 22-9 win over Holton. But I, I just – I can't do it. I, I, I'm not, I, <laughs> wouldn't pick, I wouldn't pick against Andale all year, and I, I definitely am not picking against them in this one. Uh I, I can't do it either. I wouldn't pick against them. Perry LeCompton did avenge their only loss in the playoffs. They lost to Topeka Hayden 10 nothing in the regular season and beat them 20-7 to in the postseason to avenge that loss. But I'm like you. This We've seen Andale a couple of times this year, and it's not a knock when I say this, Brad. They're not hard to prepare for, especially offensively. It's it's toss sweep both directions. They run that quick hitter up the middle, a uh, little counter action, and beat us. They're just daring somebody to beat them, and I, they're going to do the same. There's no reason they're going to change against Perry LeCompton this week, but uh, I got to take Andale. Yeah, I, I I love the old school approach that you know running the ball just dominating people in November like this. And yeah, you're right. I mean, they people pretty much should know what Andale's going to do, and he still can't do anything about yeah. it. Uh, you have to admire teams like that through history that can that can do that. You know what they're going to do, but you can't stop them. Well, Scott, really quick, like I'm actually looking at uh, the Max Prep rankings right now, and they they take into account all classifications. They have Andale ranked number one. Oh wow. Well, you wonder, um, you know, let's let's look at the 6A championship game, Brad. Uh, Blue Valley North 7-2, and two, Derby 8-2, and two, Derby a big win at Junction City 62-27. Blue Valley North, an impressive 30-20 victory at Olathan North. What would, you know, first, who do you like in this one? And then also, what would Derby and Andale be like on the field against one another? <laughs> Well, the, the the battle for Sedgwick County, right? I mean, yeah. uh, and then you can throw North, Wichita Northwest in there also. But, boy, I tell you what, you know, when the season started, I was kind of wondering if Derby maybe was a little, just kind of a little bit behind this year, you know, compared to some of their great teams recently. You know, Mill Valley throttled them 45-14. to 14. They struggled with Newton, winning 43-31. They beat Bishop Carroll. But then they lost to Mays later on, and uh, it, you just kind of start thinking, okay, maybe th- this this Derby team is good. They're just not as good. But then they just beat Lawrence, regarded by many as the best team in Kansas, forty to twenty, and just demolished Junction City, sixty-two to twenty-seven. So it's, it, they're obviously the best program in the state this last decade. And boy, the, what, one of their one of their hiccups was that two thousand seventeen state championship game against Blue Valley North. And that Blue Valley North team, incidentally, I think if I remember correctly, finished fifth in the EKL and first in 6A. So that tells you how that tells you just how good the competition that they played. They didn't play the private schools this year. They're limited just to Blue Valley schools uh, due to COVID. Mm-hmm. But even then, the last two weeks, they've beaten a very good Shine Mission Northwest team, 30-6, to six, and then Olathe North. Well, that should be a fantastic game. I mean, if I was forced to pick one, uh, just because we know Derby a little better, I'd probably take Derby, but certainly – not going to shock me if uh, Blue Valley North uh, comes out victorious. Uh, when you mention one of Derby's losses, Mill Valley in Class 5A has advanced to the championship game. They are 8-2, and two, and they're going to take on an undefeated Wichita Northwest Ball Club, 10-0. and 0. Uh, Mill Valley advanced with, wow, nothing more than impressive, 42-7 to 7 over St. Thomas Aquinas. And then Wichita Northwest had that – Really long road trip uh, to Bishop Carroll, 41-21. They defeated Bishop Carroll. Oh, boy. I don't know that you could draw up a better matchup for Class 5A than this one. Yeah, Mill Valley just looked strong all year, going back to that season opening win over Derby. And then they put up 70 on DeSoto, a good DeSoto team uh, who nearly beat Mill Valley in the playoffs. Only losses have been to Gardner-Edgerton and Bentonville, Arkansas. So, you know, Mill Valley's uh, clearly one of the best teams in Kansas. And the thing that kind of interested uh, me about Wichita Northwest is I really didn't think that they played, you know, only playing the public schools in Wichita, which isn't necessarily a good thing in the regular season. You know, West was down this year. East was much better, 17-2 to went over East. But other than that, they really didn't get any competition. And so I was kind of worried about that going into the postseason. But they came back with a nice win over Capon, winning by 12, and then they beat Carroll by 20. So they're ready for this one. I'd probably give a slight edge, though, however, to Mill Valley, just based on you know the, how good that they've been the last couple of years. 
and playing a, a pretty tough schedule this year. Yeah, and I I understand that their schedule was not real tough playing the city league competitions, but ninety two to nothing on the road, winning at Wichita North. <laughs> I mean, come on, uh, you got to be a pretty good team because you know they had <laughs> second and third teamers in there. The score ninety two points at Wichita North. That that's just unheard of. <laughs> Poor old North. <laughs> I tell you. So that's that's class five A. Uh, class 4A, you know, Brad, when the playoffs started, this is the matchup I had. I mean, yes, right. <laughs> Anybody's lying to you. If you had 7-4 and four St. James Academy taking on 6-6 six and six Arc City, the true Cinderella. Uh, Arc City came from 27-14 down to defeat McPherson 28-27. That was a missed extra point by McPherson earlier in the game that turned out to be the the deciding factor there, St. James Academy, a wild one, winning an overtime 36-35 at Bishop Miege. Boy, this is – you talk about the Wild West. Nobody saw this one coming. So, that being said, somebody's going to win this one. Who do you like? I'll take St. James Academy in this one. I mean, you, you don't go to Bishop Miege and win unless you're a quality, quality team like that. But, you know, you really have to – I credit Arc City for something, and that's, you know, I think when the season started, we knew COVID was going on. We knew that there was going to be some wild stuff. I think everyone was kind of in agreement that something weird might may happen in the playoffs this year. You know, maybe we get an unlikely champion or maybe an unlikely finals, and that was Arc City. Two and six in the regular season. One of their losses was to, to Salina Central. What, what's the big deal about that? Well, Salina Central only won one game this year, so that <laughs> yeah. one, one win came against the team still playing. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely have to go to St. James Academy. You know, there was a report that after Arc City beat McPherson, uh, by the way, the fourth straight semifinal home loss for McPherson. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, boy, you like to think they're going to kick that door in one day, but you only get so many chances. But there's reports that after Arc City won that they were chanting, we want Miege. Mm-hmm. And, boy, you, 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 you know that those St. James kids got wind of that, and they're going to say, oh, you want Miege? Well, guess what, guys? You got us instead. Well, you look at the playoffs, other than the Wellington game for Arc City, five-point win against Andover Central, one-point wins the last two weeks against Walmigo on the road and McPherson on the road. I mean, obviously, you go from two and six to, to six and six, that's all playoff wins. Uh, they certainly know and believe they can win and win a close game, so it, it wouldn't shock me at all if Arc City um, completes this un- improbable run, but I, I'm like you. I think St. James Academy um, had a little better season, a little tougher schedule. I, I like them to capture uh, the 4A title here on uh, – actually, that game is going to be played in Hutch on Friday, and they moved that out of Topeka. Do you under, do you know why that was moved, why we're talking about the Class 4A? I believe it was a COVID concern in Topeka. Okay. And so, uh, so instead of playing a doubleheader, they just figured that Hutch will – Host uh, the games on back-to-back days. Okay, so again, that'd be a a Friday game for 4A, and then the Andale game, of course, is on Saturday. Oh, what a what a matchup in Class 2A! This may be um, other than what we're going to talk about in a little bit at D2 of eight man, maybe the premier matchup. You've got 12 and 0 teams facing off: Rossville and Hoisington. Rossville a 31-19 victory at Nemaha Central. Hoisington went on the road and shut out Beloit 26 to nothing. You know, Hoisington close to our area coverage, Brad, this is, would be their first ever state championship in football. If they can complete the deal, but completing the deal against Rossville, certainly going to be much easier said than done. Yeah. We talked, we've talked about all the year about how it's just, just been kind of neat seeing different teams and Hoisington has been right there these last few years. They made it to the semifinals in 16, 18 and 19 and so they 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 and they finally you know able to kick the door in. So this is something you know a, a game that they have been waiting a while to play in, and it's going to be a brand new deal for 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 Hoisington. And then you got Rossville champions in fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, and they just they always got that tough game with Silver Lake, and they had a pretty good run through the postseason. You know they they beat uh, Nemaha Central, and it, it's. It looks like it's a pretty good matchup. I really like uh, how, you know, you got two undefeated teams squaring off here. Just probably give a slight edge to Rossville on this one based on the, the experience factor, you know, the program that's been there. But, boy, if Hoisington's going to do it, this is the year to do it. Yeah, this is 
this is certainly going to be the year. I, I saw them uh, just a few years back when they were in 3A when Halstead was really rolling, and uh, Halstead beat them pretty handily in that game when they had a really, really good running attack. But, yeah, I'm with you. If it, this is the year for the, the Cardinals to – to break through for a pick em game for me, I, I guess just so they're closer to our area and they've never done it before, I, I, I'd like to see Hoisington um, and maybe maybe they can get her done. It's going to be tough, but that should be a dandy game, uh, Rossville and Hoisington. Let's talk about Class 1A because I got a close-up view of 10-2 and 2 Oakley uh, this past week. They advanced with a 9 nothing victory at home over Inman. And Olpe, it seems like we talk about them every year. They're 11-0. and They held off a really game Linden team, 14-12. to um, Boy, made that long trip out to Oakley this past Friday night. And Inman had beaten them handily in the regular season. I believe it was by uh, 20 points, if I can get the schedule up here while I'm talking about this. But I tell you what, I, I watched that game, and this is no disrespect whatsoever. I, I still truly believe... Inman is the more talented ball club, maybe physically talented, but I have never seen a game plan executed so perfectly as Oakley, the Plainsman, did on Friday against Inman. They offensively would not snap that football until that five-second count was on. So from the word go, they were going to make this a minimum possession game. They used a big offensive line. Um, they had a huge first half from their running back their big running back he was a minus yards in the second half but the fullback they just started handing it to him straight ahead uh they got an early field goal it was three nothing well into the fourth quarter but defensively that's the difference they got that big push up front and when they got that push and stymied the line of scrimmage every time Inman tried to get around the edge they had to go backward a little bit and that was just enough time to run them down uh Three for 12 passing for Dirksen. He was picked off three times. I tell you, Brad, he had one. He had Johnson. The defense was beat right off his fingertips. I mean, that was when it was still 3 nothing. Um, they gave up when it was still 3 nothing. In the fourth quarter, Oakley went on a drive. They got the ball with over eight minutes left in the, in the, in the game. They completed a kind of a jump ball on a third and 14 to keep that drive alive. And I believe it ended up being a 16 play drive that milked the clock to under two and a half minutes to play, to get that touchdown, to go up two scores, um, which was the backbreaker for, for Inman. And boy, can they do that back to back weeks to open? Well, maybe back to back to back weeks because they shut out Smith center the week before too, but boy, they, they, bought in lock stock and barrel to their coach's game plan and they executed it beautifully against the Teutons. Yeah, their two losses this season were to, as you mentioned, Inman and Smith Center. They gave up eighty one points in those back to back losses in late September, early October. They played them in the postseason, gave up zero points. I mean that's just remarkable adjustments that they made in the, in those two games. And while Opie definitely has the the experience factor and you know they've had a good history going and we talked about, uh, again, you know, different teams doing things this year. This will be Oakley's first appearance in a state championship game. So, you know, kudos to them and, and, to, and to these teams that have had, you know, just kind of out-of-nowhere seasons. But, boy, you know, Opie's just got that. They've got the, the, the history on their side. They've got a good, you know, the win, good win over Linden. And they've, they seem like they've played Jackson Heights a couple times, a, a team that's usually pretty decent. And they really have been tested this year, except for that 14-12 win over Linden. So I will be interested if it's another kind of low-scoring, grinding-out game. I think that that would play into Oakley's uh, favor. Well, they played Linden twice, actually, Brad, back on right. September 18th as well. Just beat them 13-7. And other than that, there's been nothing nothing at all close on their schedule. Um, so, you know, Oakley, obviously, they, they were in a, a tight one this week. 22 nothing against Smith Center. Wow, it's hard to it's hard to think that Oakley could do the same thing to Olpe, but obviously um, Linden, maybe a team built quite a bit like Oakley, um, did it a couple times, couldn't beat them. Um, I will probably go with the experience in this one, uh, but I will be really surprised if we see a lot of points on the board. That's for <laughs> sure. 
Yeah, and that, that that will play beautifully in Oakley's hands as they showed the last couple of weeks. They they can they they'll, they'll be more than happy to play that way. Oh, absolutely, and I I fully expect that they'll have a very similar game plan um, to t- try to take the title away from Olpe this year. Uh, the game that will precede our game in Newton is the Blue Blood matchup, ten and O Hanover. 11-0 St. Francis. St. Francis, a big road victory at Victoria, 44-22. Hanover, 74-26. They were also on the road. They beat Frankfurt. Uh, St. Francis was in this game last year, but it was for the Division One championship, the game that I had that I'm just now realizing that it actually happened. It took me a long time. After watching St. Francis go up on Canton Galva 36 to nothing and be a break or two away from ending that game early to Canton Galva scoring 66 unanswered and nearly run ruling St. Francis. Um, it feels like to me, Brad, that St. Francis, this has been one of those seasons like the Royals had when they came a runaway from beating the Giants in the World Series. Their whole motto was unfinished business, and that feels like what St. Francis is trying to do here to finish the deal that they couldn't quite get done last year. Yeah, unfortunately, they got to play maybe maybe the best program, definitely the, the best program this century in eight-man football. You know, Hanover, in addition to winning the 1979 state title, they've got titles in 2008, 9, 16, 17, 18. <laughs> they made it to the finals in 2007, 14, 15, the semifinals last year. And I just, you know, when when Hanover loses in the semifinals, it's, it's, it's a bitter disappointment by comparison. So they're playing – you know, maybe the, the, again, the most decorated team this century and St. but say, but like you mentioned, you know, St. Francis, you know, unfinished business and looking for that first state title. They've got the talent, they've got the speed, they've got the experience. So I, they're, they're certainly primed for this matchup. Well, Hanover, their closest game would be to a team that actually beat one of the participants in the eight man division one championship Clifton Clyde, and they beat them by 20 at home so i don't know that you need to look any further than that again or the or the resume of hanover uh wow this is a this is a tough one again to to figure a winner again you you probably are gonna uh, favor experience in this one but again it would it would be fun to see some of these teams including saint francis come away with their first state championship and there's a bunch of them and we talked about hoisington oakley saint francis all going for their first uh, this weekend. So good luck to everybody um, playing for a state title this weekend. Well, let's jump back to what will take place early in the week on Tuesday night, Brad, back on the Ad Astra Sports Network, 95.9. Again, unfortunately, going to be a single game only for Lady Warrior basketball. The men still um, not quite ready to get back into action. Sterling back at home. They're 8-0, 4-0 in the KCAC. They're going to take on the Bethel Lady Threshers, who are 4-2. They are 4-1 in conference play. Sterling last played on Friday. They blew out York 97-58. Bethel with an impressive 55-52 road victory at Tabor in their last action. And boy, this Sterling team continues just to roll, Brad. I had them blowing out a good Bethany team last Tuesday, then a an effort against York where they had five players in double figures. This time it was Bailey Banger leading the way with 19. Alexis Theus, 18 points, three rebounds. Emily Hendrickson hit three of her five threes, had 13. Almost a double-double for Taya Wilson, 12 points, eight rebounds. Kyla Comley, the floor leader again, 10 points, six rebounds, six assists. Had a 36-point advantage on points in the paint. Um, hit 20 of their 23 field goals, 50% from the three-point line, 51% field goal percentage. Again, this team has so many weapons, you just don't know who's going to get you on what night. Um, so let's start with the Lady Warriors. They're, they're rolling. They, they want to keep this rolling into the Thanksgiving break, and especially against a top contender at home. This is a game that you have to win if you want to win a conference title. It seems like that every game or every week, it seems like that, oh, here comes another tough opponent for, for Sterling. They haven't had many easy games on their schedule this year, and yet here they are just seemingly just doing nothing but winning right now. I mean, Scott, you've been around the program a lot more than I have. Is this – when was the last time the Sterling women were this good or had this much potential? You know, when this 
group of players when the Bangerts were freshmen um, and when Kyla was a, a sophomore. I was even before um, Emily Hendrickson got there, uh, and that would have been Taya Wilson's freshman year. They started that season, I believe, 17-0 and before their first loss, and we were just – it was just jaw dropping because I, I think seven of their top eight were either freshmen or sophomore that year. Um, caught up with them a little bit at the end of the year. You know, a lot of freshmen you're used to playing maybe 23, 26 games. You know, you're playing upwards of 30 plus in college. Probably was a little bit big the moment was for them that year. It, you don't have that feeling this year when you watch this team. They're having fun. I mean, their assist total, they've had one game where they had 26 assists this year. It just, they do not care who scores. And I think they've had at least five different players lead them in scoring uh, through their eight games this year. Uh, you, you just never know. It's, it's so fun. You know, a Sydney Banger comes off the bench. She has been red hot from the three-point line. So has the assassin, I call her, Emily Hendrickson, just, they want her to score, and and she has been. Um, the Bethel team they're going to play, Brad, um, when you have a 6'3 senior like Abby Schmidt that can score and rebound like she does, she can always propose problems. But Sterling tends to run teams like this to death. I mean, Schmidt coming off of a 15-point, 15-rebound game against Tabor. Uh, they've got a couple of, of shooters, Kendall Mikulski, um, can hit the three. So can Alex Barrup can go inside out. Barrup's a 5'10". She's listed as a forward, but she can shoot the three. Um, but boy, the, the way Sterling can can put the pressure on, run up and down the floor, they execute so well on the half court. Uh, I like them in this game. I think it'll be tough if Bethel can slow them down, grind it into a half court affair. That's where it could get interesting. But Sterling Hasn't allowed anybody to do that as of yet. Yeah, easier said than done. And the, the, the thing about that is that at some point they are going to get in a transition and you got to be able to get back. And even if it's close for a while, I just think that their, their, their depth and their athleticism, is, it's just going to wear not just, not just uh, you know, Bethel, that's going to wear almost everybody that they play down. They're, they're going to play some good opponents this year. They've already played some good opponents. You know, I look down the line when they play, you know, like the uh, College of the Ozarks and teams like that. But, um, I, their, their their depth and their athleticism. I mean, this is stuff you just don't see very often at this level. I mean, this is a team I think Scott that's got really the potential to do something special this year. Yeah, you do get that feeling. That's why the uh, kudos the KCAC and I tell you the athletic directors they they're almost on the phone on a daily basis. Okay, you guys can't play then. Well, we can here. Can you play here? I mean, the schedule adjustments. Um, they've been doing a fantastic job um, keeping the season rolling and going. And I think, I, I think there can going to be bumps in the road, but I think, I think we'll make it um, to March. And of course, Brad, this is the first year of the divisions being combined yep. in NAIA, NAIA basketball. And it's the tournament expanded to 64 teams. And from what I'm told, they're, they're not have plans right now to alter that format. And our, our top two qualifiers men's and women's, which is the regular season and tournament champs. If that is one and the same, then it's the runner-up in the regular season. It gets us a second bid. They get to play in Wichita, either yep. at Hartman Arena or at Fringe University. And that that is huge if you have to win two games to advance to what the would be still Sioux City for the women. It would be Kansas City for the men. Uh, that's huge to be able to play that close to home when you figure that they're going to send a GPAC team down here. Um, that's big, and I think that's why it's so important for Sterling to hold home floor here on Tuesday night. Yeah, and uh, and with the, with their ability to – and that, that depth is really going to, I think, be, be a big factor because you mentioned the grind that the season can be, especially for those young players. But with the experience, I mean, they just got just a complete team, and yeah, and, and you're right, though. There's not a lot of room for error, and I think, though, that's also where this experience comes in at. They, they've been through this before. They know there's not a lot of room for error, and that's why I don't anticipate many nights where you're like, oh, well, they, they just didn't look very good. I mean, they'll have off nights. There's no doubt about that. I just don't see them really having many nights where they're, they're in a game because they're beating themselves. Yeah, you don't get the feeling that this year's squad they'll, will crumble like that at any point. Again, that'll be a – a 5:45 pregame, single game only. 
um, starting at six on 95.9, and then they'll have the, the, the short break, and then they'll get back at it um, after Thanksgiving. Uh, Wednesday night, we'll kick off Wichita State basketball. We'll have coverage all season long on 100.3 KNZS. And unfortunately for Wichita State, Brad, there's a lot to talk about off the floor <laughs> as well as on the floor. They're going to start off with uh, Utah State. They're playing and um, looking at the schedule. They're playing three straight days. Of course, their opponents will be determined on win or lose for Thursday and Friday. Um, so they'll start off with Utah State. Of course, I think most everybody knows they did a mutually part ways with uh, Greg Marshall last week, and they promoted from within. Um, their head assistant is now the head interim head coach. Um, let's start um, on the floor first. What do you think of Wichita State? Um, with all those players that left in the spring, what do you think uh, what they're going to look like here against Utah State on Wednesday night? Well, Utah State's got they, they got a pretty good reputation as a, one one of the better low major teams in college basketball. You know they they've often played you know kind of a, a grinded out style you know in the '60s or something like that, and they're they you know they routinely win you know 22, 25 games a year. So this is a tough opening game for Wichita State. Boy, I tell you what, I just. This is going to be a tough season, I think, for Wichita State. I think that they, they you know, that they'll, they'll be able to win some games and, and get some uh, victories out there. But just the, the the cloud that's hanging over the program, that's not easy. It's not easy. We saw what happened with Kansas back in 2009. Cloud hung over the, t- the team for, what, the last six games of the season, and they lost them all. So it, it's going to be tough, and especially – you know, there, there's no fans there to rally to, to rally the team right now. Maybe, maybe at some point, but when they got those games coming up, you know, against the likes of Oral Roberts and Missouri and Oklahoma State, I mean, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a quiet Charles Koch Arena, and that's that's pretty unusual. You know, and maybe of all the seasons where the crowd could really lift the Shockers team and maybe provide that sixth man, it's it's not going to be there at least not right right away. Yeah, that that is a huge factor for for Wichita State. You know, they're so good uh, in the roundhouse, if you want to, you know, call it the roundhouse. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to expect out of this team. Uh, I think they're going to try to rally around each other, but like you said, it's it's so much easier when you've got that that spirit influxed into you by a, a huge home crowd. And like you said, they're just not going to have it. Uh, so it's hard. It's hard to think they're going to be very successful early on. Hopefully, they'll get used to each other. Um, I don't know that the the coaching, uh, as far as the X's and O's, being an uh, elite assistant under Greg Marshall, that that will change that portion of it. But of course, you know when when a new head coach, even though he's been in the system, is calling the plays, you know that's going to be different situations. He's going to call different plays. And Greg Marshall. Yeah, they have their own wrinkles. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so this may be before we see the real Wichita State team. It may be January, um, late in the month, or early February, before we really know what Wichita State is going to be. Yeah, it's going. It's going to be. It, it, I think there's going to be some lumps along the way. Now, that's not again. That's not to say that they won't be able to get some wins or maybe even some quality wins out there. And maybe I'm setting the bar too low here, Scott, but I think even a winning record this year would be considered an accomplishment. I agree. Um, if you're above the Mendoza line when the regular season ends, I think it'll be a successful building year for the Shockers. And Thursday, whew, I don't know that it could start any better. KU and Gonzaga on the basketball floor. That's on Thursday. KU will play St. Joseph, another good ball club, on Friday. Wow, I'd like to... Talk with Bill Self a little bit about this early scheduling. <laughs> My goodness, Gonzaga and St. Joseph. I, that would that would have been that would have been a dream scenario for the Final Four last year, let alone to kick <laughs> off this crazy 2020 season. But boy, KU loaded, Gonzaga's loaded. Oh, this great early test for both of these teams. Yeah, absolutely. And the the, the thing that the Jayhawks they did lose quite a bit, and but you know Marcus Garrett one of the best, maybe the best defensive player in the country. And he can defend, you know, the point guard, he can defend the wing, he can defend pretty much anybody. You know, the question for me is, you know, where are the points from the going to come from? Uh, Garrett's not, has not been much of a scorer. You know, they do have Mitch Lightfoot back after sitting out. Um, they got David McCormick. He's not really been much of a scorer. They do have a, a, a Ochai Agbaji again. He's had some ability to score, 
But I'd say the one kid I think that could really break out this year is the in-state kid, Christian Brown from Burlington and then Blue Valley Northwest High School. He had some good games last year in the Sunflower Showdown. And I really like this kid. I think he could really be an X factor for this team, a 6-6 on the wing, a, a tough matchup problem. And they're really going to know where they stand after these first couple games. Yeah, I, I think the key definitely is going to be what they can uh, get inside because there's those nights, you know, you have to get some of those kind of grunt points down, banging in the paint when the when the three ball and the outside shot just isn't going in. And, and you wonder um, where that will come from. I'm, I'm kind of looking at the roster right now. You talk about there's a Jalen Wilson. He's a redshirt freshman. Yep. Uh, I don't even want to print this kid from Haiti, I can't even pronounce his name. They're high on him. You got McCormick in there, but yeah, where will it come from if they have to rely on points in the paint to win? I think maybe that's the biggest question mark going in. Yeah. McCormick has shown the ability to have, you know, the, the, to hit the mid range jumper. Can he finish at the rim? Like, uh, like uh, Doak could last year, you know, no, no one in college basketball could do it better than Doak. You know, will they be able to get those points at the rim? Will they have any kind of, you know, shot-blocking presence this year? You know, two very important factors, and I think McCormick could be that. And I think Mitch Lightfoot, you know, uh, he's a cult favorite in Lawrence. You know, people love Mitch Lightfoot. You know, 6'8 senior, he's really played his role well. He's had some big games in his career, and I think he could be, once again, an X-factor. You know, a kid who can play 15, 20 minutes a game, you know, get you – 6.7 rebounds and a couple block shots and bringing that energy. And I, I, I really like uh, – he, he's the kind of kid I think that could really help this team out, especially early in the season. Those games, I'm looking at our Ad Astra schedule. The Wichita State-Utah State game looks like it is a 7.30. Uh, I believe that's the tip time listed on there. And KU, this would be a pregame, I think is going to be – on Thanksgiving Day, it looks like that's going to be right in the afternoon around a 12.30 start. It's showing 11 o'clock for uh, when the coverage would come, but I think they have a pretty long pregame there. But you can find uh, Wichita State and KU basketball all season long. Wichita on 100.3 KNZS and the home of the Jayhawks, 94.7 KSKU. Well, that's good KU, Brad. Ready to talk bad KU? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the good news was they, they did not win or, or lose this last weekend. Unfortunately, they did not play at Texas um, due to COVID concerns. So the schedule right now, 0-7 KU. I think this is it, Brad. If it's going to happen, it's this week. They're taking on 3-4 and four, TCU in Lawrence. TCU comes off of a, a loss also two weeks ago, 24-6 at West Virginia. So if this KU team is going to not have an offer, I think we probably both believe it's going to have to be this Saturday at home. Yeah, they've actually played TCU pretty well in recent years. So there, there's, there's precedence to think that maybe Kansas can play with, a, with the Horned Frogs. Uh, again, they, but they have really shown the ability, except for about three and a half quarters against Iowa State. They played West Virginia somewhat okay, uh, but really it's, it's been a struggle for the Jayhawks this season. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're going to win this one because I don't think they will, but I, I can't see them being in this game. And, and, you know, moral victories, I don't like talking about them, but if they can find a way, last six minutes, be within a touchdown, be within a field goal, you know, just let's see how they react to, to a, a genuine close game. I'd be very curious to see how they would react if they're in a game in the last four, six minutes. That, that's anybody's guess because they just have flat haven't been in one. Uh, I will say, and I watched part of this game this weekend, that Coastal Carolina loss is getting better by the <laughs> week. Coastal Carolina is still undefeated. They just knocked off Appalachian State. That's kind of the, uh, the measuring stick for Coastal Carolina because that App State's been there, done that. And they beat a really good App State team this last weekend, and I think they've moved into the top 25, somewhere around 19. So um, we thought it was a bad loss. Um, it's, it's not looking so much like one, but I, I'm with you. Can, can they keep this close? I think there's a possibility, but I, I do not look for them to win this game. But hopefully, like you said, they seem to pull a genie out of a bottle every year, even when they – they, they're not very good, and I think this is going to have to be it. 
if it's going to happen. And again, I'm looking at the Ad Astra schedule. It looks like this is a night game, um, seven o'clock kick. If I'm looking at the schedule correctly, it's got a 5:30 start on 94.7 KSKU, and that is usually for uh, pregame. Uh, that again is in Lawrence against TCU on Saturday. Well, on Sunday, if you uh, just watched it on Monday or on Sunday night football, the Chiefs uh, got a exacted a little revenge on their one loss of the season. They had lost to the Raiders at home. They came from behind one the go ahead touchdown and winning touchdown. Uh, with 28 seconds left at an uh, empty Vegas stadium to beat the Raiders 35-31. to 31. Let's first talk what we really liked about that game. Boy, uh, we can talk about Patrick Mahomes, it seems like, every week because he, he and Kelsey and Hill, again, all had monster games. Um, Mahomes just did what he, he always does. He leaves the pocket. He draws the defense to him for that game winner to a wide open Kelsey that I think I could have got the football to um, for that game winner. What I liked is they got their two running backs involved, especially early in, in Clyde Edwards, Elair, and then um, uh, their new running back, whose name I just brain farted on. Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell. There we go. He got a touchdown, and I like keeping the two backs fresh. Bell caught, made a nice run after a catch um, out of the backfield. I really like seeing them get back to the running game. But did you see? I think they had 15, 16, and 12 play drives for touchdowns in that game because the Raiders were playing coverage. Okay, we'll run the ball and throw underneath. They took what they gave them, and that looked really good on Sunday night. Patrick Mahomes right now, I don't think there's any doubt is the best player in the NFL. I mean, you can, he may not have the pizzazz or the flash of a Russell Wilson or, you know, but I, I, I just don't see how you can possibly say that Patrick Mahomes is not the best player. Yes. He threw another interception only a second of the season, but that wasn't his fault. Actually, his receiver didn't turn the way he was supposed to. So, the way Mahomes just dissects these defenses, I mean, there was no doubt, Scott, whatsoever, that the Chiefs were going to score there on that last drive on Sunday. The, the only question was, were they going to score with too much time left or, or the right amount? And, and to be honest with you, here's how bad it has been for the defense. When they scored, I didn't get that excited. I was like, well, it's 50-50. The Raiders may go down and score here again. But the, it was just it was just, so, it's just so easy for Mahomes. And it's not. We know it's not easy. I mean, the guy is a relentless preparer. He watches film. We know how much he – he prepares for these games, but he just makes it look so easy. I mean, there's no doubt when they started that last drive that they were going to score. And like I said, the only question was how quick was it going to be? And you're right. It, the, he can beat you in so many different ways. And on Sunday, it was the short passes, you know, because the Raiders kept him in the pocket last time. They, they only rushed four. They got to him that way. Well, this time it's just like, okay, he's going to get rid of the ball quickly, and we're just going to, you know, nickel and dime you to death. And that's exactly what they did most of the game. And it's, it's just remarkable – how bad most of the team can play and yet it doesn't matter because they got Patrick Mahomes I was actually hollering at the TV when the Raiders were taking so long to score I was afraid they were going to run too much time off the clock I knew they were going to score uh, I was like you know let them score I was yelling you know because <laughs> give Mahomes some time well a minute 48 and a timeout proved to be uh just plenty of plenty of time and yeah he is impressive the way he can backpedal and just gain a little bit more time when blitzers are coming in and throw the ball accurately, moving to his left towards the sideline and throw it across his body accurately. is just, I don't know that we have seen that before. And he just continues to impress me. What continues to not impress me, unfortunately, Brad, is that chief's defense. Uh, my, my concern meter continues to kind of tick up six to seven, the more I see this defense play, the more concerned I am. They just uh, – Derek Carr, uh, he had all day – they never once got close to Derek Carr in that game to pressuring him. Uh, they they still can't stop the run. They couldn't stop the Raiders at all on a, any kind of a consistent basis. Uh, Brashad Breland continues to be a penalty machine over there on the defensive side of the ball. Um this was the point in the season last year when we started to see that defense, which was bad to start the year last year, get better and better. 
I'm, I'm hoping I can see that this year because I think that's a real key um, to, a, to, to making another run at a Super Bowl championship. But right now I, I'm seeing a lot of things that I'm really concerned about from that defense. Yeah, it's back-to-back games where they've just given up 31 points and just gotten absolutely shredded. And, oh, you only have, you only have to go to Tampa this weekend and play Tom Brady mm-hmm. and Gronk. So, but you know what? Maybe that's what they need to, to be able to, to, to focus a little bit more and realize that, you know, you can't play like this come January. Uh, playing a, a guy like Tom Brady and going up against an offense like Tampa is maybe what they need to, to get their focus back. Because right now, of course, with the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers, 14-2 and two may not be good enough for, for the number one seed right now. And so the Chiefs' margin of error is pretty much zero right now. They may have to win out to have even a chance at the number one seed. Yeah, the Steelers do not have a tough schedule remaining. It's, it's hard to see them finishing worse than 15-1. and one. I mean, they could seriously, if they keep focus, can go 16-0. and 0, And this is the year where there is only the one bye and less they go to the alternative schedule of eight teams and nobody would have a buy, but right now things are still on course for just the one buy. And then the chiefs would have to, um, in, in effect, play that extra game to get to the super bowl, but certainly they're capable of it. So we'll see how, uh, they can fare tough road trips at Vegas. Got the win. Now they go, as you mentioned to Tampa Bay, and that would be fantastic if they could get those back-to-back wins. Well, a couple other things I wanted to touch on, Brad. One will kind of get wrapped into my final thoughts. We'll touch on the other one first. Um, NCAA March Madness this year. I'm sure you've seen this, as most people have. They are planning on playing the entire tournament this year, and one site, Indianapolis, is the one. I don't think it's been firmly decided on. That's the one you see most. They're going to have every game kind of in a – Boy, a monster bubble to, to play that many teams in the same area. Um, there's a lot to dissect here. First of it is, of course, the local financial loss because Wichita, this was one of the years they were going to have first and second rounds of an NCAA regional this year. Of course, they lose that. They're again scheduled to have that in 2025. So uh, let's first talk about that. That That's huge for Wichita. They, they were such a great host site the last time they had it. That's why they got two more years scheduled. They did such a fantastic job. And, and that's just another COVID casualty uh, financially for Wichita. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because it's a big boom for those small businesses in downtown Wichita, just like we saw with uh, Hutchinson and uh, losing the NJCAA men's basketball tournament last year. Uh, the, the national track and field meet. I mean, the, 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 these communities really thrive on those big events, and it is unfortunate. And at the same time, you know, you, you definitely want to see it happen. I hope we do get a March Madness. And if that means that we have to see it all in Indianapolis, then, you know, unfortunately, so be it. Do you think that is a possible – I mean, are they? I have not seen any specifics. Are they going to use – multiple arenas in the Indianapolis area or are they thinking somehow some way that they can play every game um, in the same arena there I just don't see any way that they could not have to use multiple arenas in that same area I just think it's an impossibility to use just one yeah there's uh, if they have to use multiple arenas uh, at this point I think it's pretty safe to say that if they have fans at all it would be very limited so you could play at some of those smaller gyms like IUPUI, um, you know, I think Butler University is right there in Indianapolis. Yeah. So uh, there's probably some decent sized high schools, even maybe some smaller colleges, you know, maybe with a, a capacity of a couple thousand that you could play at. So, of course, you have TV concerns and you have to be able to set everything up in there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, that, that will be a possibility, I would say. So that's going to be very interesting to see where that moves. But I'm like you, if it's, uh, if it's in one side and they have it, I'm, I will be happy. Uh, to, to see March Madness. I know that was a uh, one of the many big losses for everybody this last spring. Well, uh, we're recording this, Brad, on Monday night and coming up on Tuesday afternoon. I know something you and I are watching very, very closely. It's near and dear to our heart. There is a proposal um, being presented to Keisha, the Kansas State High School Activities Association, up for a vote that would uh, 
postpone the start of high school winter sports to the middle of January. January 15th is the date I have seen. We are actually scheduled to start our basketball coverage. Uh, I don't have a calendar. It's either December 4th or 5th, whichever that Friday is to start our high school basketball schedule. Um, as you could expect, Brad, that social media has blown up with this ever since uh, people caught wind that this is a potential happening. Um, I have talked uh, myself to several administrators since um, I found it out. Um, I, I have signed a petition to let, you know, hashtag let the kids play. A lot of that is going around. And again, this kind of, I'm going to get my final thoughts wrapped into here. I have seen um, an alternative proposal to delaying till January or to playing a regular season. I've seen one pop up over the weekend, start at the normal time in December, play your December schedule, then wait until January 15th to resume, um, which would put a target of, as far as basketball would be concerned, 17 games instead of 20 for a regular season delaying until January. Um, they're shooting for a max of 13 games. So let's just start off before I um, give my personal opinions and thoughts on this. Um, what do you think is going to happen um, as we're recording a Monday again on Tuesday afternoon when Keisha gets to this? They voted down a similar proposal in the fall to delay fall sports. Uh, what do you feel like they're going to do for winter sports? Same thing. I think they're going to vote it down. I think the, the winter sports season starts on schedule. Uh, having said that, I do think there is a possibility we could see the alternative uh, proposal where you play December as normal and then maybe delay the return in January a little bit. That that wouldn't surprise me, but uh, I think it's going to start uh, as scheduled, Scott. I, I think I think that way, too, and I think there's a possibility they go to the wait until January 15th. Um, and since this is our podcast, I, I don't do this on Ad Asher, but I, I feel like I can assert my my personal feelings here is that nothing should be adjusted. And here's my reasoning why. You're wanting to try to have – they're dead set. They said, we want – we do not want to cancel the state tournament like they did last year, which I still feel like was the wrong thing to do last year, but that's water under the bridge. They're pretty set they do not want to do that again. To have your best representative postseason, to me, start on time. Don't delay in January. You know there's going to be bumps in the road. You know We've seen it. I think both of us would agree. Fall sports has gone pretty well. We're, we're, we're crowning state champions. We've had some forfeits, unfortunately. We knew that was going to take place. Administrators across the board have done a fantastic job keeping the kids safe, um, keeping them out on the field, adjusting schedules when they needed to, rescheduling, scheduling new opponents. Um, they've done a fantastic job. But why not start on time? Know you're going to hit some bumps in the road. So then when you do have some games you can't make up, instead of only ending up trying to play a 13-game schedule in the middle of January, instead of ending up with only eight or nine games played, if you shoot for a 20-game schedule, you have a couple postponements, and you have maybe 14 or 15 games played. That, to me, still sets up for a much better postseason um, for the kids and a much better representative sub-state and state tournaments. Yeah, I really hope that we do get uh, it played. And like I, I agree with you, Scott, that uh, it's, it's, it's going to be some work but everyone has shown the ability that they are willing to work and adjust as needed. So if you, if you adjust the schedule at all, I guess maybe delaying it by a week or two in January, isn't the worst thing in the world. But then again, I also think that, you know, once you start doing that, there's, there's, there's already going to be games canceled. We already know that there's going to be games canceled. You know, if, if anybody gets a full season and it will be a surprise. So we already know that they're going to lose some games. So I just say, let, let's just let everybody make the needed adjustments as they did during football and soccer and volleyball and trust everyone to make those right judgments. Cause I think that they did make the right judgments for the most part. I did in the fall too. And you know, they're talking about reasons why they would want to, to delay and, and I don't, and I don't buy them. I mean, they're talking about, and I am fully in favor of the safety um, of our, our high school student athletes 
but the numbers simply don't back up that they're in danger. I think they're actually safer in the practice environments, the school environments, because you can monitor the mask wearing, the, the six foot distance and stuff. You can monitor what they're doing. If they're left to their own devices, Brad, you and I, a few moons ago, we were once teenagers. Um, <laughs> I just know what I, I would have been getting together with my friends and saying, oh, yep. I don't need to do that. It's just us. You know, I, I think they're safer. And I've seen one glaring statistic that stands out to me. And again, these can be shown for what they are, but they, in the state of Kansas, they have traced exactly 0.03% of all COVID cases to clusters that have developed in schools. So, yeah, and, uh, and, and of those, especially when it comes to sports, you know, how many of those were, were like restricted to football practice right. or, or something? I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, the, one of the clusters was over the summer at an MAYB basketball tournament. It was restricted to one team from Hayes, mm-hmm. and none of them caught it at the tournament, which means to me someone brought it with them to, to, to Wichita and spread it among the players and, te- and people within the Hayes. So they didn't catch it at the tournament. And then, the, and then the, the other one that really sticks in my mind, here in Kansas, do you know how many kids between the age of 0 and 17 have died from COVID? Uh, I would say – I, I I would guess zero, but it's probably been it's probably been a few, I would guess. Last I saw it was the big old goose egg. Oh wow, okay. Is the fan you know, and again, don't quote me on that. That's what I saw. That's probably a good week or two old when I saw that. But that's fantastic. I mean, that's it's showing that for one, the kids aren't getting it or spreading it or suffering ill effects from the few that have had it. I mean, I think that's all good news. Um, for kind of what we're talking about, about moving forward and giving the kids, uh, you know, a chance to play. Because I think back, Brad, if I had been a senior this last year, I go to my senior season in sports. I was a three-sport athlete. Um, I would have been able to play football like they did that year. During basketball season, our team advanced to the state title game that year. And I think of how my heart would have been ripped beating from my body had they told me after we had just pulled <laughs> off this big first round upset sorry guys the tournament's over yeah and then all four years of high school we had a really good golf team we went to state all four years i would not even been able we got third that my senior year as a team i would not even have been able to compete in that and i just put my so again it's been many moons since i was in high school but i could relate because i just think of what i would have felt like had that state basketball title opportunity and state golf title opportunity had been taken away from me like it did from these kids. So you can tell I'm passionate about, (laughs) you know, letting these kids move forward and play because quite frankly, and it's, you can't get this chance back and I don't want to see that happen. Yeah. I don't think any of us really want to see it happen again. I mean, my daughter Josie lost her junior year of soccer. Yes. You know, and that, you know, this is a year after she scored 23 goals and led the league in, in goals and, you know, looking to see what she could have done as a junior. And, and boy, part of my language, I'll be damned if she loses her senior <laughs> soccer season. I'm just not going to, I just, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I can say is no. <laughs> so, again, that that's a, a vote coming up on Tuesday. The feeling I get from people I've talked to is they will not go with the, the starting on January 15th. Uh, there may be the slight possibility of the, second semester not starting until then which i guess i'm okay with that um if we start on time but again uh, that will take place by Keisha, um on tuesday of this week so brad i guess the uh, i guess you got my final thoughts there may be more than people wanted but that's again i'm passionate about it um where where do you want to turn for um your final thoughts this week yeah i just uh kind of uh piggybacking on your thoughts a little bit scott um uh, you know folks it's it's we, we know that there's this, the, the fan capacity is going to be limited if at all at these games. Yeah. And all I, all I can say is that, you know, support your school, support your local radio stations that are broadcasting, you know, with an internet broadcast or a radio call, you know, listen in, watch it, thank them. And more importantly, if there's sponsors like we have with at, at Asher radio, thank the sponsors, you know, patronize their business over this holiday season, if possible. Um, thank, thank them because without, 
these means of watching the games or listening to the games, you know, we you you would really be in a predicament if you couldn't, you know, watch your 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 favorite high school. So, you know, definitely take some time out this winter and thank those those high schools that are that are broadcasting the games over the internet or on YouTube, or thank your local radio stations for for broadcasting live games on the radio. And like I said, if they have sponsors, patronize those sponsors over the holidays and thank them and, and do a little bit of shopping with them. And that's very well said because, again, part of that Keisha proposal right now is, and, and again, I think local school districts are going to have the final say on uh, the com- competition and the fans, but Keisha's recommendation is really no fans until February and then limited fan attendance at, at that point. Um, I know we don't want to see that, but we want to see that before we don't see the kids play again. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, and like I said, you know, if, if you can't make it to the games, folks, uh, the, the radio, the local radio stations and the schools that will be broadcasting games, we all got your backs. Yeah, we'll have as many of those games as, as we can humanly possibly get to you um, this winter. And, and again, we're not talking about spring sports quite yet, but we'll try to get you all of those baseball games as well so again our ad astra state championship broadcasts are this saturday uh the andale perry lecompton give me just a moment and let me a one o'clock kickoff there in hutch andale and perry lecompton on kicks country 106 that'll be uh 12 45 pregame and right before the pregame on kicks country 106 and 95 9 that would be at 1230. You can find Brad and I, the Central Kansas football preview show. We're going to preview our two games and all the rest of the state title games. And then Brad and I will be in Newton. We'll have the second of two championship games there for eight-man division one. That's going to be a 315 pregame and a 330 kick. We'll have Little River and Wichita County. We are extremely excited uh, about that game coming up on Saturday. And again, We'll roll around past into the next week. And if things go as we hope on the vote Tuesday, we'll have high school basketball for you on the first Friday of December. So again, uh, thanks to Brad for joining me and for everybody. We keep getting more listeners each week. Uh, Give us your feedback um, if you want, if you want us to cover some games that we're not covering or some, maybe even some sports that we're not touching on. I know Brad would love some soccer questions (laughs) because I would I would say, yes, that sounds good. What do you think, Brad? Because that's my soccer knowledge. But I'm sure Brad could answer it if uh, you want to ask him uh, anything about soccer. So, again, please join us each week. For Brad Howard, this is Scott Hogan. And for this week's View from the Press Box, God bless. Have a great evening.